Welcome to the How Did They Do It Real Estate Podcast. Have you ever wondered how people succeed in real estate and what steps they took to get there? If so, this podcast is for you. Your hosts, Sayla and Eileen Prack, interview top experts in the real estate community to share with you their real estate journey and how they achieved massive success. Our goal is to provide you with valuable real estate resources and to help you apply it to your own real estate goals. Welcome to today's episode of the How Did They Do It Real Estate podcast. I'm your host, Eileen Prack, and today our guest is Ray Jang, and I'm super excited to bring him back on as a guest to the show. He's an entrepreneur who arrived in the U.S. 11 years ago facing homelessness, and within three months, he found some success by venturing into car flipping. He decided to venture into various real estate avenues without success for six years. However, there was a turning point that occurred about four years ago when he discovered land investment. And today, his net profit stands at about $900,000. And his inspirational journey from adversity to prosperity led him to become a land coach, sharing his expertise and teaching others how to achieve profits in the realm of real estate. So if you want to hear his full story, check out episode 606 of our podcast to hear his full background. Um, so Ray, welcome back onto the show. How are you doing? I'm doing well. Thank you so much, Alan. Yeah, you have been very inspirational. And uh, I still remember the day that I came last time, you know. No, thank you so much for coming back on, Ray. So kind of tell us a little bit more about what you've been doing um, today in land flipping, where the market is, what you're seeing. Um, share us a little bit about what you've been doing since we last chatted. Yeah, so I have been doing a lot of coaching. I have uh, about 100 students right now. And also I have been mailing a whole lot more right now. So, you know, trying different lists, different markets. And, uh, you know, it's been very well. Um, you know, I have some students that are very successful as well. Do you find that the land flipping business is a little bit more challenging in today's market? Or are you finding a lot of uh, deal flow, a lot of success even today? Yeah, absolutely. So I don't see it more difficult. Somehow it's got a lot easier. I think a lot of people still haven't touched on a lot of markets yet. So my strategy changed a little bit. Instead of trying to buy and sell right away right now i'm buying and hold as well so for a lot of land that i just don't want to sell it and hold it for bigger appreciation so when you say it got a lot easier can you expand a little bit more what do you mean by it got a lot uh, a little bit easier so we use a special list right now and um we send out that list out uh it's mainly for probate list we got at least about 10% calls and uh, then we got a lot of deals under it. So I sent out 9,000 mailers. Um, I got about about at least 15 deals. So I don't see it much more harder. Of course, there's a lot more people that get into the games and uh, some of it don't even know what they're doing. But still, we have tons of markets if you know, one market is saturated. I don't really go to the top three in the entire nation, try to grab a deal there. 
So what are some of the markets, I guess, since you first started that maybe got a little bit more saturated? What are some of the other markets that you see are kind of um, not fully saturated? There's still opportunities there to make a good profit. Can you share a little bit of that? Yeah, the market I've been never been to so saturated, but um, I do see it's a lot harder to get a deal right now if I were to mail the, that county again. So some counties in Florida, uh, for example, the top number one is Lee County, right? So I've never been to that county myself uh, because it just so many people mail it there. And also for the markets that I have been mailing at the beginning, it's so easy to get a deal right now. Even I mail to those counties, I find it harder to get a deal. Uh, those ones are, you know, for example, Bavara County, Flagler County, those ones are much harder right now. But uh, you can still get deals out of those market. I just prefer not to go there anymore. Is the messaging still the same in your mailing uh, flyers or have you changed how you've approached different sellers um, from when you first started? Yeah, still the same. I just uh, a letter with the offer price on it. And then people can decide to sell it to us and call us back when you negotiate again. Or they call us back and curse on us, you know, we curse back. Let's do that, do it, right? But uh, that's basically it. I would still get a lot of calls. When you're putting a offer price on the mailers, can you break mm-hmm. down a little bit about the process of how you're determining what offer you're putting in those mailer lists? Yeah, definitely. So it's very easy. Uh, we first download a, a list called comparable list. We look at all the sold data within the last three to six months time in this entire county. And then we see what is a subdivision that had a sold. And then we want to know exactly what is the average sold price per acre for that subdivision. And then we download another list. This list is a mailing list. We're going to mail out to the homeowner, the landowners. And uh, for this list, we just want to offer about 40 to 55% on that comparable list, whatever is sold in the same subdivision, of course. Okay. And then from there, you know, when they call back, what does that negotiation process look like for you? Yeah. So people call us back and then we tell them, yeah, and the offer is good. But the thing is, we find something problem with your land. You know, we be very specific. So we use that as a leverage to negotiate with the seller again and ask them what's the best they can do, right? Some seller got mad and said, you know, you sent me the offer letter. Now you want to change the price. And uh, I just tell them, you know, we send the offer a yeah, massive scale. So there's no way we can see the land before I actually made the offer. But we see this problem right now. Is there a better price you can do, right? So always try to negotiate at least a few hundred off. But in some cases, we drop it down very much. You know, for example, we had a deal. I sent an offer, original offer was 13000 The land worth about 30000 We negotiate down to 1000 Oh, really? <laughs> yeah. Sometimes we can get the land for free. I got the land for free last week. And uh, the land worth about 50000 And he owe about 3000 um in back taxes. And he told me, you know, Ray, if you could just pay the taxes, I'll give it to you. So I did that. But you never know uh, when you're actually talking to the seller. 
So when you're analyzing these deals, so let's say like like this example here where you got a free land, is there ever a time where getting a deal like that would actually be more problematic for you as an investor? And what would the exit typically look like for that kind of property? Yeah, I don't think it's a problem to get a land for free. If anybody think it's a problem, just give me the problem, right? I'll, I'll, <laughs> I'll, I'll deal with it. So after I get it, I just look at, uh, you know, even you get the land for free, you still have to look at uh, what is a sold nearby if this land is even worth it. You know, it's not like a $100 worth of land and uh, they owe so much taxes. Now it's not worth it to do anything, right? So you have to see how much the land is worth and how much sold. What is the price sold nearby? What is the assess value of the land from the property appraiser website? Uh, the city have a very good idea how much the land is worth typically, but you know, of course, the assess value does not equal the value of the land, but it's very close. So you can have a good idea. So in that situation there where you got the land for free, the seller, why didn't he just go to a broker or list it somewhere else? Why did he decide to sell it or give it for free and just have you pay the back taxes for it? Um, it's uh, Actually, nobody understands. Maybe they don't want the trouble to go through another one. Maybe... You build enough rapport, they like and trust you. You know, human beings are highly depend on what they're used to, right? So let's say I'm talking to you and then I don't want to talk to someone else. I just very familiarized with you, environment and everything. So of course he can go to the broker and have it listed and pay off the taxes. He can get a lot more, but people just hate their land so much. They want to just throw it away. And if you know what you're doing, and uh, if they don't know how much the land is worth, you know, you might end up getting the land for free. I'm not the first one. I'm not the first time. This is not the first time I got the land for free. And my student got land for free too, you know? So it just happens all the time. So what are some of the factors that drive a seller to that point where they don't want to list it. They don't want to deal it with it anymore, that they're willing to just give this land away. Um, what are some of those challenges that they typically would face? Yeah. So for this list, um, their, one of their family members passed away. That's why it's called probate list. In other cases, maybe the land has a lot of property taxes. You know, this guy own a lot of taxes as well. And they don't have the money to pay for it and they feel bad and the city keep reminding them they'd rather get rid of it. And sometimes the city gave them a ticket, right? So they don't have time to cut the grass or whatever. You know, they don't want to go there and do anything and they just want to give it to somebody else, you know, and they plus they don't know how much the land is worth. So then for you, what do you do with the land afterwards once you, you know, get a land for free or you get a good deal? What do you end up doing it? You said your strategy changes a little bit more now where you're buying it and holding it versus, uh, you know, flipping it immediately afterwards. Yeah, absolutely. So um, I would sell this one, but for the land that are on the growing path nearby the big cities, I would just hold it. 
For example, when I first moved to Jacksonville here in Florida, I bought some land. The land, when I bought it, it was half of the market price by then. And then over these two years, the land actually appreciated about 300 times. But I'm not getting a 300% return. I'm getting a, about 500% return because I bought it half price by then. So that's a compound effect. And if you sell it, of course, you can get a 100% return. But the wealth is always uh, made in the holding, right? So I heard something that truly inspired me. He said, you don't get rich by what you do. You get rich by what you own. That kind of inspired me to hold some. So when you're doing the analysis on whether or not you're going to hold the land for longer term or you're going to flip it, sell it off to another uh, another buyer, what are some of the tools or metrics that you look at that help you determine um, if this is a property, this is the land that you're going to hold for a little bit longer than your typical deals? I guess it just highly depends on the area. So there are two areas to consider. First of all, where is the city or county you're holding? Is this a area that will grow in the near future? Is that right close to the major growing city, right? It's not like three or six hours away from Dallas. So that's a little bit too far away, right? And second thing I want to see is inside your county, are you in a war zone, right? You know, in each city it has war zones, right? And uh, there are some areas that a lot of homeless nearby, you know, those land, you just, maybe you want to get rid of them. You know, it doesn't matter how long you hold it for, it probably won't go up too fast or too crazily. So I would just sell them, you know, and uh, for the land that are too far away from a big major city, I would sell them too. But uh, if it is two hours, three hours away or within that range, I would, I would hold it. So what about finding the financing for land? Because typically you can't get debt on land, right? You need to pay it for all cash. Is it more challenging now to find uh, other investors to work with you? Or um, how are you finding the capital in order to do all these significant deals? I just closed the deal myself. I have the fund to close all, all of them, uh, fortunately. But if you do need funding for your land, you do have some funding partners. There's people owning fund land. You know, you can just go look for them, right? So they are land investors themselves. They know what is a deal look like. So of course they'll fund it, right? And uh, you're right. The bank don't like to fund land deals, but there are a lot of more people wanting to do that. Uh, I guess it just uh, at the same time of you're building your own land flipping business, uh, make sure to build the connection with other other people as well and uh, tell them how much return you're going to give them, you know, guaranteed. Let's say you found a deal, you guarantee them 20% return. Then if you sell the land, uh, maybe you can give them a little bit more, right? So I think if the relationship is there, they are willing to do that as well. So for the land business especially because you're sending out so many flyers now. You're also um, working with a bunch of different sellers in different markets. What are some of the systems that you have in place that help you manage the business and all the inflow of deals and all the offers that are going out? 
Yeah, I still use the same old way. I put it on a yellow pad, yellow page. I draw a line in the middle, and then I write on write down all the phone numbers. And then I have people call me. I don't pick up the phone live. I let them go to the voicemail. And then if I hear the voicemail is not friendly, or they just tell me they don't want to sell the land, I just cross them, right? And for the people on the sell, I call them back and negotiate. And then if they are seriously selling the land, I move them to my Google Sheet, which is my own CRM. And then I'll follow up with them. You know, if we have a deal, I send them the DocuSign and just do it, right? So it's a very easy process. So I don't want to complicate things. If they want to sell, we can do that. If they don't, uh, I don't have time for them, you know? So in terms of sending out the flyers and the mailers, what are the tools that you're using to be able to send that? mass amount of communication to different uh, sellers yeah we create a list uh, with the offer price and then we use a, a company called rocket mail and uh, i can send you the link for a cheaper code with my name on it uh, but we i just started doing that uh, recently because i used to spend about 64 cents per letter right now it's 55 cents per letter so it's a lot cheaper and um we send it out. Uh, they're going to make the letters, send it out for you. So you don't have to worry about it. So because you're working with a lot of students as well, I'd like to ask you as well, what are some of the things that sets your successful students apart from the other ones who might not see as much success? Uh, what are some of the things that they do a little bit differently to leverage and to bring in the deal flows, closing more and more deals? Yeah, so it's very simple. It all comes down to what you believe. And if they believe that they can do it, and uh, they will uh, get it done no matter what, right? So if they believe they can do it, they'll send out the mailers and they get the deals, right? If they don't think they can do it, and uh, or, for, or for some people that who think they are super smart and they can invent another way, you know, and uh, then they got procrastinate and uh, they don't do nothing, those guys are not the one getting deals. So I guess, uh, you know, just have a little faith and then believe that it will work and then just mail uh, a lot of mailers and the deal will come for sure. So Ray, when you're buying and holding also these deals, when you're holding them, what types of activities that you need to do to upkeep the holding of the land. Uh, you mentioned last time that sometimes they don't like cut the grass. Are there any other activities like that uh, that you need to kind of be aware of as you're holding onto these land? Yeah. So you just have to make sure that you pay the property taxes on time. Otherwise, the city will sell your land, right? You can just go buy your money, right? So just make sure you have it and uh, there's not too much you can do. And uh, if the city don't give you a ticket, you don't really have to cut it either. So for you, Ray, what are you focused on next here upcoming? And is it going to continue to grow the land business? Yeah, uh, last month, I sent about 140,000 mailers. So I think I continue to do that volume. And uh, I have been crazy with all the inbound calls from the landowners. And I kind of like that. And, uh, you know, it used to be uh, getting about 10, 15 calls a day. That's about it. But last two weeks, I got so many calls and uh, at least 40 a day. But I was able to reply all back within a day. 
you know, that kind of feel good and my deal volume go up dramatically as well. So how are you vetting these deals? Let's say like you're, you said you're getting 40 calls a day. So as you're getting the calls back from sellers who are interested in selling you their land, what does your process look like to making a formal offer for them? Or are you putting an offer on all 40 calls that are coming in? Or are there some that you're saying no to? Yeah, I can do that within, within two minutes, no matter where it is in the States. So it's very easy. And uh, first of all, I look at uh, the assessor website to see how much the sales value just to get an idea. And then I will look at the GIS map and see where the land is. And I will locate it on Google map and see what's going on in the neighborhood. There are house nearby, there are power nearby, you know, those, all the things that you can negotiate, right? And, uh, is the land cut? Is there a lot of trees on it? Is there a dirt road? Uh, or is a paved road, right? Is there a HOA? You know, we check all that. And after that, I want to look at on Redfin and see how much, uh, what is the sold nearby for a similar size. And then that's very important for me because I want to see what's sold nearby. I typically offer about half of it. And if I can go lower, uh, based on the things I have found, uh, I just always negotiate with the seller, you know, but it's a quick process at the beginning. It's hard to do, but once you're so familiar with it, you can do it within two minutes, very easy. So do you say you're continuing to stay optimistic with the land business and do you see it, the market continuing to grow um, or are you seeing some more saturation coming in, more competition coming in, you know, over time? Yeah, definitely more competition coming in, but I'm still uh, feeling very good about this business, at least about five to 10 years, you know, five later on, five to 10 years, I don't know I'm going to do, maybe work for you. Uh, but <laughs> <laughs> but uh, for now, I still think is is very good right now. Fantastic. So, yeah. Ray, where can our listeners find out more about you and what you're doing? Yeah, we can. Uh, you can message me on Virtual Flipland on Instagram. It's the same, Virtual Flipland, and uh, happy to answer all questions. All right. And if you guys want a link to raise code for using Rocket Miller, we'll also put that into the show notes as well. Absolutely. Thank you so much. Ellie. All right. Thank you so much, Ray. Thank you. And thank you for listening to our podcast today, brought to you by Bonavest Capital. We would really appreciate it if you can go to iTunes right now and leave a rating and written review. Also, please don't forget to subscribe so you can always get the latest episodes. You can also connect with us on Facebook, How Did They Do It Real Estate. We'd love to hear your feedback and any topics that you're interested in for future episodes. If you're anything like Zayla and me and believe that real estate investing is a great way to create passive income and build long-term wealth, check out our free apartment syndication due diligence checklist for passive investors at bonavestcapital.com forward slash checklist. Sale and I created this checklist for ourselves as we evaluated different multifamily syndication opportunities as a passive investor. So we would love to share it with you so you can use it as a resource as well. Download your free copy today at bonavestcapital.com forward slash checklist. Lastly, to learn more about us, you can go to bonavestcapital.com and fill out the contact us page so you can speak to us directly. Nothing on the show should be considered as specific personal advice. Please consult your legal, tax, and real estate professionals for individualized advice.